Be prepared. It's the 60 Minute Dash. I don't believe what I just saw. With your hosts, Hunter Highwell and Nick Pellucci. From Studio A at the Connecticut School of Broadcasting in Westbury, New York, it is the 60 Minute Dash on All Noise Radio, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Follow the 60 Minute Dash on Twitter and on Instagram at the 60 Minute Dash. A crazy weekend in the world of sports as the Mets took on the Braves. Not the result all Mets fans wanted, but don't lose hope. They have plenty of important games coming up. The Yankees, a possible World Series preview as they take on the Dodgers. Andrew Luck stuns the football world. And if we have enough time, we'll even get to a little bit of golf as the FedEx Cup champion has been determined. But Nick, like I said, the Yankees with a possible World Series preview against the Los Angeles Dodgers, and they go into L.A. and they take care of business. Um, on a long West Coast trip after getting swept by the Oakland Athletics, it just seemed like something took a turn for the worst. And yesterday, Didi Gregorius, you know, goes down with an injury, but it didn't matter. Nothing, it seems that nothing can slow this team down. They go on a three-game losing streak, and they come back and take a series from probably the National League favorite to, you know, get to the World Series. And they did it with all hands on deck. James Paxton, a great start going six and two-thirds on Friday. And yesterday, Domingo Herman, probably your best pitcher, outdueling Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw got blown deep twice yesterday, once against Aaron Judge. And the uh, first one, I believe, was against uh, – was it against D.D.? Well, Judge, Judge, had the, Judge had the home run in the first inning. He was – he was there was a big deal about it because he was promising somebody before the game that he was going to hit a home run. They beat Clayton Kershaw, who is was pretty much money in the regular season. Here's the fact about the Dodgers and the the Dodgers in general. Here's the problem with them: whenever Ryu and Kershaw pitch, they win. But the Yankee lineup is so deadly that they're able to score four runs on these guys. They chased Hinge and Ryu out of the game. Nobody's been able to do that this year. And for me, like you said before, the biggest part of this series for the Yankees is that what have we been talking about all year, Nick? Yes, they needed a pitcher at the deadline, but they really weren't able to get it. What was the biggest thing for them? The guys that were here needed to step up big. And they did. Domingo Herman really was fantastic. After giving up a home run early on in that game, he settled in, he pitched a really good ball game, and he gave the Yankees a chance to win. And on Friday night, James Paxton, who has been very subject, he has had average performances against the garbage of the American League with the Royals and the Orioles. Remember what we were talking about when he got beat up by the Red Sox? Oh, he's not a big game pitcher. He can't make it here in New York. Well, you know what? He just shut down the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think that he's proven that he could be a streaky pitcher. You're just hoping that when October comes, he's on the right type of streak. And let's not take away from the Dodgers' lineup. They're no slouch. You got a MVP candidate in Cody Bellinger. You have Justin Turner. Absolutely. You have Max Muncie. Matt Beattie, who has had an incredible career. And Chris Taylor, who bats seventh, and he's still a force in the lineup. It's all these guys that the Yankees across the board were able to shut down the enti- just about the entire weekend. They limited them to no more than two runs per game. And, you know, I was really surprised to see that, you know, out of because the last start for Paxton and the last start for Tanaka weren't too great. And they really needed to shut them down, and they did exactly what they needed to do. Um, you had the production that you got from the Yankees lineup all year. 
out of this, which wasn't expected with the pitching matchup. I mean, Hinjin Ryu is probably a favorite to win the National League Cy Young. As long as it doesn't blow up. Sub-2 ERA for the entire year, which is incredible. And even Clayton Kershaw, you know, you know he's the future Hall of Famer. And what do they do? They go out and they get to him early. They tag him early with a couple. long ball. They tag him with a couple. And that's all they needed to do. Well, here's the thing, like you said. Like, we've been talking about the Yankees, how they had so many fill-in guys this year. Think about the Dodgers in the last six years, who they've come up with. Justin Turner was more or not a failure with the Mets. I wouldn't call him a failure, but I just can't think of the right word now. Like you said, Matt Beatty, Chris Taylor, Max Muncy. These guys came out of nowhere, and they're superstars. It's like what the Yankees have done with a couple of their guys. But like we said, their offense has come through again. DJ LeMayhew has been incredible this year. Aaron Judge seems to have broken his little slump that he's been in. Mike, Mike Ford's been able to get on base quite yeah, a few about, times in the last week, and how he's about stepping that? up. How about that? Mike Ford. I mean, Mike Ford is he's Mike Ford. I mean, nobody really expects too much from him. But listen, the bottom line is here with the Yankees is that, like you said, Tanaka got roughed up in his last outing. But even though they got... Even though they only, well, they, they won two or three. Not that they only won two or three. But on Saturday, they could have won Saturday too. And you could think that, I think that you could honestly blame a little bit of the strategy there with Didi Gregorius when he bunts with two strikes. I understand with one strike, it's three and one. He sees that opening on the opposite side of the field. Yeah, lay a bunt down. You and me are crazy for that. If you're going to lay a bunt down and try to get on base, try to get on base. You know what I mean? Don't BS it. But he continues to bunt, and I think that he's too good of a hitter. The Mets were in a similar situation on Saturday night. I was screaming my head off at the game, but we'll get to that when we talk about the Mets. But with Didi Gregorius up with two strikes, I think he's a great two-strike hitter. You see him, he chokes up on the bat. I'd rather him swinging the bat than bunting. The umpires also were not the Yankees' friends in that game. They had a chance in the ninth inning. It just it got shut down. But hey, they took two out of three. They did what they needed to do. CC Sabathia could have gone longer. But, I agree. But Boone took him out. I don't really agree with that because, like we say, the bullpen has been used a lot. But, hey, like I said, they took two out of three. And who knows? Even if they play each other in October, you're probably going to forget about this because it's a regular season matchup. This doesn't mean that they're going to win the World Series. This doesn't mean that they're going to be able to beat the Dodgers in the playoffs. But you know what? It's two games that they like to win because they won it with their starting pitching. It's not the usual 9-8 Yankee slugfest. The starting pitching settled down, and they got the job done. Well, you know what? Like I said before, not even more than two runs in any of these games for the Dodgers. And on Saturday was probably one of the games that, you know, the Yankees were favorited to win because, you know, they threw out Tony Gonsolin uh, on the mound for the Dodgers. He only goes five innings, but he gives up the one run, and they— the Dodgers give the Yankees a little taste of their own medicine by using a lot of their bullpen, and the bullpen shut it down, allowing just three hits in four innings. And to me, if I'm the Yankees, I got to be really proud of this series the way it came out. You got the pitching was astounding. We we don't need to say anything more about that. And you know the offense is clicking. There's guys in this lineup that you know really. You don't expect to be there in the postseason if everybody's healthy. But each and every one of these guys is coming up big. Gio Urshel is in a little bit of a slump. He went 0 for 4 on Saturday. But you got guys, like I said, Mike Ford and all these guys who are picking up the weight. And that's exactly what the Yankees needed in this very pivotal. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a pivotal series because, you know, these are two juggernauts that are already in the postseason as we know, there are 40 games above 500. 
So there, it's just going to be an easy coast into the postseason. It's all about where they're seated and who they play. But it gives you kind of an insight of how the playoffs are going to go. I mean, this is a glimpse of how the Yankees need to perform if they want to get to that AL pennant. And the Dodgers, you know, this kind of opens up the minds and sees you, now you know what's wrong with the Dodgers, what they need to fix. I mean, the offense wasn't there, but... Their bullpen is horrendous. Their bullpen, man, all year. Kenley Jansen is not even a sure closer anymore. And they really need to find a way to, you know, pick up this back end of the bullpen where, you know, you can be confident uh, having your starters go six or seven innings a couple times. Because in September, there's going to be a spot starter every now and then to try and limit the innings for some of these guys. A lot of uh, other starting pitchers are going to need rest if they need to go game one of the postseason. This is going to really matter in three or four weeks from now when you're getting down to the last two series of the season and you need guys on uh, limited rest or, I'm sorry, extended rest for that postseason spot. Well, here's the good news, and it helps the Dodgers and the Yankees the same thing will help the Dodgers and the Yankees in two different ways. September, the rosters will expand and you're able to call up more guys. The Yankees will be able to call up more bullpen help, not because they need the bullpen help, but like you said, their guys need rest. I mean, Adovino, Canley, Chapman, you know, all Britain, they need that rest. They have been pitching a lot down the stretch, and that's accustomed to really because the guy who's pitching tonight, Jay Happ, who needs to prove himself. He has almost a six ERA. He needs to pitch better. But these guys are going to be able to get a little bit of a break. And for the Dodgers case, the Dodgers, maybe they can call so many guys up and maybe one just starts pitching well, they'll put them on the postseason roster. You don't know. I mean, maybe they find something in one of these guys. I mean, that's what the Mets have been doing all season. They're just throwing different guys at the wall, just trying to get them to really find themselves. And the Dodgers are going to have to do that because Kenley Jansen, the reason why the Dodgers are so much better than the Mets, there's two reasons. One, Kenley Jansen has been money at the back end of the bullpen. He's been struggling a little bit lately, but he's been money most of the season where Diaz has been giving up so many runs and the Mets have just had so many problems at that back end of the bullpen because the Dodgers offense is so dynamic and that rotation is so dynamic that they're able to get to the ninth inning every time to give it to Kenley Jansen. But maybe this time of year, this is one of the... Well, baseball is trying to fix how many guys you can call up because it kind of got ridiculous. Teams are having like 36 guys in that dugout. That's that's a little too much. But it's going to help. I really believe it's unethical. I don't think that it's really necessary in the game of baseball. I know they play every day. They play 162 games a year. But in all due respect, I know the limit to risk injury, but it just kind of... Oh, it's a little funky to me. It's out of context where guys that don't even belong there are getting a shot at the major leagues and sometimes it doesn't even matter well i mean for bad teams it helps because they're trying to see what they got in prospects but for good teams they just call guys up just to finish up a season and like you said i mean I don't, not that it's necessarily unfair but you got to that point of the season with the guys that you got i mean yeah if you want to expand the roster by three or four guys i get it but to be able to open up the entire 40-man roster is a little too much I think that's always been a problem in baseball. There's too many guys in September because in the most important time of the year, you're able to call up as many guys as you want. I, I just have a problem with that because it got to that point with all 25 guys pitching in, whether you're sending this guy down and that guy up. You know what I mean? I just don't like the, the ability to just call up the entire 40-man roster. And to a lot of these teams, especially in the National League, where 
the wild card race is so very tight. Hectic. If, if, it's just hectic. If you throw in all these reserves in a game and you and you lose a series two to one instead of winning two to one, it could be a very big loss down the stretch. Like every game to this point to the end of the season, especially for the Mets, the Cubs, it's gonna matter. And if you lose a game because you have a third string catcher in there, or if you have a shortstop who's never played in a major league game go out there and give your guy a rest. That's big that's a big deal. And you can't afford to lose a series down the stretch if you're looking for that second wild card spot. Well, I mean, when the teams are scratching and calling, I don't think they're gonna be playing a quadruple A player in a big in a game in a big game. I just think it helps the teams more that are far and away out of the one, either way too far out of the playoff race, or two, a team like the Yankees that just needs a couple of guys to finish the season because the Yankees are not going to play a, an important game until game one of the ALDS at Yankee Stadium. I mean, they're just going to be able to coast through and pretty much have their guys all rested up. It's what the Dodgers are going to do. It's what the Astros are probably going to do because that's just how it is. That's what, just what they're going to do. They're going to be able to rest these guys that they have important. They don't want to get anybody hurt. That's the That's the big thing. They don't want to get anybody hurt for the postseason run because here's the difference between the National League and the American League. The National League is, by quantity of teams, better because there's more quality baseball teams. There are more flawed baseball teams, but there's a better quality of teams. But in the American League, there's more powerhouses. I mean, there's at least four powerhouse teams in there. And, I mean, I guess you could say that they've beaten up, especially teams like the Indians and the Twins. They've really beaten up on that horrible AL Central with the Tigers and the Royals. But, I mean, you're just going to be able to beat up on them till the end of the season. I mean, you can use quadruple-A players to beat those teams. Well, down the stretch, the Yankees have a lot of playing time against the American League West. Uh, two series against the Texas Rangers. They got another one with the Athletics at home in a couple weeks, or I think it's next week, the end of next weekend. Um, just got to see more out of the starting pitch, and that's about re- it. And really... Down the stretch, I think the one thing that the Yankees do have an advantage over anybody else is because all of these injuries have helped them bring up guys who aren't supposed to be here. Now they've gotten a taste of what it's like to be at the top level. And when you go into the postseason, you have all these reserves. They've already been there, not in the postseason, but they've seen big league pitching. And that's a huge advantage for them. And I think that's going to be a, something a little bit of an edge for the Yankees as they move down the road. You're listening to 60 Minute Dash on All Noise Radio, powered by the Connecticut School Broadcasting. Don't touch that dial. We're going to return talking about the Mets uh, weekend series against the Atlanta Braves. And later we talk about Andrew Luck retiring from the NFL. We'll see what happens next with Jacoby Brissett and more. You're listening to 60 Minute Dash on All Noise Radio. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you 
you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. The 60-Minute Dash, powered by All Noise Radio. We got more left, don't you? A whole lot. Going. I thought so. That was, that was warm up. We're warming up. Going 0-60 to 60 with intense sports talk. The 60-Minute Dash on All Noise Radio, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Nick Belucci on Drywall, going 0-60 to 60 with intense sports talk. And for the Mets, a very disappointing weekend. Disappointing is uh, an understatement. It's a, heart, it's a heartbreaker. Friday night, you have Jacob deGrom being Jacob, the Cy Young, Jacob deGrom. 13 strikeouts, solo home run. He is the entire show. The only run of the game. The only run for the Mets, anyway. And they play 14 innings and lose the game to none other than Danny Hetcheria, who the Mets DFA'd early in August, and the Braves picked up two Guys from the Braves, they actually picked up. Another guy, Billy Hamilton, was another crusher in this series. But the Mets, their offense just has gone silent and did not produce much at all this entire weekend. And what does it what does it say about the team in this run? I mean, this is a very important series to win. They're at home where they play very well. And they're in a spot where they have to win every series. I mean, they're down to, you know, 10 more losses. If they lose more than 10 games in the rest of the way, you their season is good as done. And right now I'm looking at a season a series with the Chicago Cubs where it's must-win situation. Must well, win. here's the deal. The reason why this series is so frustrating is Friday night, like you said, DeGrom is perfect. He hits a solo home run. And the more frustrating thing about it is that, one, he gets a no decision. Two, the, how many missed opportunities do the Mets have in this game? I mean, come on. How many times in extra innings can they get a runner to third base? Here's what drove me nuts is that with one out, Pete Alonso comes up to bat with Joe Panic on third base. All he has to do is get a fly ball. For a fly ball hitter, all he needs to do is send one to the outfield. Panic will score and win. But he goes down swinging. We no 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 there was nobody out when he struck out and the thing that the thing that drove me nuts is that he didn't even run to first base he would have been safe at first base and he would have saved the Mets an out he didn't even run he was more concerned watching Joe Panic run the third base where he was going to get there easily than he was running out to first base first of all Pete I love you but you got to pay attention to the game two there were so many more missed opportunities of guys on third base. And another thing, how about a Danny Hechevarria coming in here and just torching the Mets all weekend? He torched them with their glove. He got basically the game-winning hit on Friday night. And then Saturday night, I'm at City Field. I'm, all right. I'm like, all right, you know what? We scored one run on Friday. We should have scored probably eight. But you know what? Whatever. We got to get this game. We're pro- we're, we got, let's see, we got uh, Wheeler on the mound. Wheeler needs a big start. He gets hit hard. Acuna, uh, let's see. Donaldson hit a home run. What a surprise against the Mets. Ozzie Albies hits a home run. But then Pete Alonzo hits a three-run home run to put the Mets up 5-4. to four. Wheeler gives the 
Wheeler gives the runs right back. That was another frustrating part. And then McNeil comes in. He gets a double. You think that the Mets are going to take the lead again. He gets thrown out trying to take third base. And then they get Rosario up. Nobody out. Runner on second base. And they have him up there bunting. Can you explain that to me? Why you have maybe the hottest hitter in all of Major League Baseball bunting with a runner on second base? Well, I'm pretty sure they did that on Friday, too. Where they, they did. Had, they had a guy on second. They bunted him over. They have one out. And then you get two strikeouts. I, I just don't see my problem is the rhyme or reason to... My thing is, is that it's not even that they're bunting. It's that who they're bunting with. I it's Ahmed Rosario. It's, it's Mickey playing too much small ball. I mean, he's playing fundamental baseball, but he's got to know who's on up at the plate. He's got to know the situation. Who who do you have behind him? And I believe the uh, even the Braves, I think, made a terrible decision when they had... I think the Mets had a runner on third or second, and they didn't walk... I believe it was Pete. No, it wasn't Pete Alonso. Whoever was batting before J.D. Davis, they didn't walk him to make a force out at second. It was Conforto. Okay, yeah, it was Conforto. They didn't walk him, which would have put a force at second with a double play. But I see they didn't do that because they had J.D. Davis behind them. But that's just in the situation. As for the Mets, they've blown so many chances, and they've ran themselves out of innings. Why... Ahmed Rosario is trying to break for second when you're down runs. That just blows my mind. None, when no, you already got an out at third trying to stretch an, uh, another hat. None of what the Mets did this weekend made any sense. The Braves, yes, they're a very talented baseball team. They own the Mets. There's no doubt about that. But if you think about it, the Mets really ran themselves out of this game. Out of all three games, they had opportunities beyond themselves and they just chose not to capitalize on them friday night was the most frustrating to watch because the amount of times they got a runner on third base saturday night was frustrating because mickey cowboy said his excuse after the game too was i like the way joe panic's been swinging the bat how about ahmed rosario swinging the bat he has been hot and he got a base hit earlier in the game like you got to be kidding me you're not going to send him up there to hit that's what worries me i mean this manager is taking wins away from this team He's not just doing his stupid little Mickey Cowley stuff on a bad baseball team. This is now important baseball, and he continues to make bad decisions. And I don't know if it's Brody tell, like calling in, you know, hitting the shot collar, telling him to have Ahmed Rosario bunt. But if that, either one of them that thinks that, you're an idiot. I mean, this whole sabermetric thing is ridiculous. What? Because Ahmed Rosario can't hit this guy because he has a hard slider or something? I don't know. All I know is that Ahmed Rosario has hit everything since the All-Star break. You're not going to send him up there to hit? How bad is this manager, dude? How bad is he? Well, I believe somewhere in this series he had a really bad strikeout swinging at two pitches that were in the dirt. Oh, he had one strikeout, so you send him up there to bunt. No, 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 no. I'm not not taking sides. I know you're not. I'm just saying that if that's the thinking, which it probably was, because, listen, Mickey, when we talk about being hot, we don't talk about one at bat. He had a base hit in that game, a hard base hit, and you know what? Ahmed Rosario, like I keep saying, is a very hot baseball hitter. He is. And Joe Panic, overall, yes, he's played well with the Mets, but in a whole season, he has put 240. He's been an inconsistent hitter with the Mets. I understand that he's gotten a couple of hits. He got a hit in the game, but so did Rosario. I just don't get the situation there. And they had Rosario bunting earlier, and it didn't work. I don't think they realized that maybe some people, they need more practice bunting. They do, but... The thing that pointed out to me the most in this series was... The bullpen know, blowing it on well, Saturday no, night? The, Brad that, Brock? Okay, no, no, listen, listen. 
Uh, the bullpen has done exceptionally well in the past week and a half or so. In the one game where the Mets actually scored runs, that's when it imploded. Edwin Diaz, another two-run shot that he uh, gave up. Yeah, Freddie that, Freeman that, took him that, way what was, deep. What was that, like the 15th home run he's let up this year already? Yeah, and he got hurt too. But you know what? When it comes to Edwin Diaz, he has given up so many home runs, and I'm tired of hearing, oh, he's just got to get that slider going. He's just got to get that slider going. We've been on this since April. That slider is not getting going. And you know what? They really buried him. Before he pitched Friday night and then he pitched against Saturday, they really buried him. He was barely pitching. But Friday night, of course, Familia gives up the game. Saturday night, after the Mets take the lead, you got to win that game. Once Alonzo hits that home run, he gets his 100th RBI of the season, you have to win that game. But Brock gets the first two guys in the seventh, and then he just gives it right back. I just can't believe that. How we get... How they get, well, he got the first two guys, and the next thing you know, the Braves are up 7-5. And then it just got exponentially worse when you bring in Diaz. He w- He's just been horrible this season. He has given away so many games. The Mets are in such a bad position. This is why, uh, this is why you need to see where they go from here. Because the last time they lost a series to the Braves, they won 5 of 6. And I understand, I'm not terribly worried. I'm upset because the because the Nationals swept the Cubs and the Mets could have gained ground. But listen, it's just become evident to me that the Atlanta Braves own the New York Mets. It's just become so evident to me over the last two years, the Mets have not proven to be any sort of challenge for the Braves. And the Braves got a good baseball team, don't get me wrong, but sometimes you got to beat a good baseball team. And I have more confidence in the Mets beating the Dodgers than I do them beating the Braves. Call me crazy, but I do. It's sad that I have to agree with you. I mean, like the and the Braves are such a beatable team. They they, they don't they they're hurt shot. outside of the top four guys in that lineup. They've done nothing. But you know what? You know who killed them this weekend? Francisco Cervelli of all people. Francisco Another guy Cervelli. that they picked up, it, I believe, it was four days ago. And Billy but, Hamilton. Billy Hamilton <laughs> killed them too. But let's not forget what the offense did this weekend. Okay. Outside of, outside of the Pete Alonso home run. Wilson Ramos had nothing. two of the Mets' six hits in 14 innings on Friday. He came in in the ninth inning. Yeah. Let, let that marinate a little bit. And you know what? He's been, the top of your lineup, the first four guys combined for one hit. That was Pete Alonso's single, I believe, in the sixth inning. When? Sunday? Uh, Friday. Friday, okay. This offense just... Did not show up this weekend, and I think that's where your focus really has to be. I know it, 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 maybe it will turn around. It probably will. I mean, it, it's been in cold spells before. We saw early in June well, when they couldn't score a run if it depended on them. Well, here's what it comes down to is that guys like Michael Conforto need to find that consistency. He is having a quietly really good year. I shouldn't say really good. He's having a good year because his average is in the 250s. But you know what's the problem is that he's just hitting a bunch of home runs. And you need him to get those clutch hits. People get on Bryce Harper for not being as high on average as he needs, but his on his runners in scoring position average is like 380. He's a clutch baseball player. JD Davis went quiet this weekend. Wilson Ramos did his thing. He got a couple base hits, but outside of him, there was nobody that was really consistent. Todd Frazier needs to sit down. I've had enough of watching him play. You know what they need to do? Joe Panic has proven that he deserves to play every day. I'm sorry, Todd, but you need to take a seat. They need to let McNeil play third base because, honestly, Juan Lagares, ride him until he goes cold again. 
because he has hit well. He got like four or five hits this series. I'm even confident putting McNeil in the outfield and throwing J.D. Davis at uh, third base. I would do that. I mean, you could sign me up for that. But I think that McNeil or Davis at third base is fine. But I just think that J.D. Davis has played left field for almost a month and a half straight. You just got to keep him there. I agree. And he made a great play the other day. Oh, he did? um, Last week. And you know what? I'm really disgruntled with this team at the moment. Well, it's a frustrating loss. I mean, because outside of Saturday, they got two good starts. I mean, Matt's had a good start on Sunday. DeGrom had a great start on Friday. But that's what kills me. It's just the... The starting pitching was phenomenal this weekend, but minus Zach Wheeler, he struggled a little bit. But we gave him the lead, and he threw it, it back. It seems that you know when the game is on the line, Pete Alonso, Michael Conforto, and J.D. Davis are looking for the home run. They're trying to be the hero late in the game, and I know the runs were scarce all weekend, and they felt like they needed to come up with one big hit because that's all it took. But they're swinging and missing it balls right down the middle because they're trying to kill the ball. Yeah. The Mets have to go back to playing fundamental small baseball, not as small as Mickey wants it with bunting guys over and whatnot, but well, just slap the ball the other way. The Mets have done that, shown that they could do that all year. They did it with the Indians, and during their winning streak, they were able to capitalize on runners in scoring position. This weekend, they were 2-for-25 with Ducks on the Pond. That's unacceptable. Well, it just kills you because... Because how many guys can reach third base in a series? They basically sent the third base to die out there. How many times can you get a guy to third base and not bring him in? I mean, the Braves really, realistically, they did not play a great series. I mean, they were a little lazy. They did, like Donaldson at third base was lazy all weekend. But they did. You know what the problem was? That the Mets just played stupid baseball. And when you play stupid baseball against a good baseball team like the Braves, they're gonna make you pay. And I understand it's not McNeil's fault for dropping the ball on Saturday night, but he leaped, he doesn't come down with it, and the Braves tack on two runs after that. And yes, J.D. Davis, yes, you do have to throw the ball back into the into the infield oh with Billy God. Hamilton on third base. I forgot about that. That's unacceptable, man. You cannot let that happen. That is just, that's Little League right there. And, you know, you, you can lose your job doing that if you're anybody else. Now, before we go into break, I just want to say the Mets did not capitalize on the advantages they had against this Atlanta bullpen, who we've seen struggle so mightily this year. Yes. Uh, Anthony Swarzak, another former Met, killed us. Chris Kelly. Chris Kelly. Mark Melanson, who has oh, Chris tru- Mar- who has trouble saving a game. Chris looked, Martin, not Kelly, by like the way. Looked like a Cy Young Award winner out there. Sean Newcomb, who, had a go- who got thrown into the bullpen because he wasn't a qualified starter. Listen, the, all these guys just really own the Mets this weekend in a— situation where you know the Mets had the edge they were coming off a sweep and they just couldn't get it done listen just in a nutshell the Mets the Mets offense just did not come through that's what it comes down to they played stupid baseball on the base path they were stupid on the base paths that's another thing that we're that we're forgetting here they did not come through with runners in scoring position and the manager just needs to not bunt with the hottest hitter in baseball so before we go do you think that the Mets need to sweep this series before they go on the road uh, I mean, yeah, you could always use a sweep, but let's start with two out of three. I mean, it'll be a five and four homestand. It's not what you were looking for as we after we swept the Indians. But you know what? You just need to take two out of three because the Cubs, even though they're horrible on the road, they're a very good baseball team. Win two of these games, I'll be happy. 
I'd be happy with a sweep because you gain well, ground. Of course, uh, of course look, you'd be happy with a sweep, but I'm listen, saying you got to be realistic. The listen, Cubs are a very good baseball your, team. Your nine games after this are all against the division and all pivotal matchups. You're listening to 60 Minute Dash on All Noise Radio, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. When we return, half number two of our show, we talk Andrew Luck, we talk Mets, Jets, and the FedEx series. Let's go to break. We'll return. You know, our jobs occupy more than half our waking hours. Shouldn't we be doing something we love? Call Connecticut School of Broadcasting at 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Since 1964, Connecticut School of Broadcasting, with a network of 12 campuses from Massachusetts to Miami, has helped place thousands of grads as DJs, sportscasters, entertainment reporters, behind the scenes in audio and video production, every aspect of the broadcast media. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has trained men and women of all ages and backgrounds in a matter of months, not years. Learn by doing from area radio and TV pros. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Remember, it's never too late to love what you do. Day and evening classes begin soon. Get trained. Get connected now. Dash on All Noise Radio, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Follow the 60-Minute Dash on Twitter and on Instagram at the 60-Minute Dash. And on Twitter, ask questions and answer polls using hashtag Ask60. The 60-Minute Dash on All Noise Radio, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Nick Palucci, Hunter Highwell going 0-60 to 60 with intense sports talk. And breaking news out of the NFL, and I know a lot of people are outraged at this. If you had your fantasy draft already and you picked Andrew Luck, well, you're in for a treat because he is no longer the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. He has declared retirement on Saturday night. Huge blow to this team, to the organization. I know the circumstances, um, you know, he he really needs to put an end to football, and I know how hard it is for him. But the one thing that strikes me is the response that he got from Indianapolis fans after the preseason game on Saturday night where he got booed all the way off the field. You booed a man who has lifted this entire franchise after Peyton Manning left, a guy who is like 55 and 33 in his career. He has like 67% uh, percentage. He's an all-around great football player and a genuine guy. He gets sacked or tackled, and he's congratulating the guy. That's the kind of guy he is. He loves the game of football. But listen, here's the thing is that, listen, I get the the whole booing thing. And then in the initial part where you're a fan, you feel betrayed, you don't know what to do next. But then you need to become rational. After a little bit, you need to become rational and realize that Doug Baldwin had a great tweet. He really did. Doug Baldwin basically said, I'm sorry that he wants to be able to hold his kids when he's older, that he wants to be able to see his kids grow up. He wants to be able to wake up in the morning and be able to get out of bed. I mean, if you think about it, Andrew Luck has been nothing but injured. It's been injury, rehab, playing, hurt. You know, it's just, it's been the cycle over and over again. And listen, football is a very physical sport. Andrew Luck loves the physicality, but we need to understand that these are not machines. These are human beings. And yes, he puts the Colts in a little bit of a tough spot. We'll talk about the future of the Colts in a second. But Andrew Luck, he went to Stanford. He was top of the class. He has an architecture degree. He's not a stupid individual. He's a very smart man. He's a great man. 
He knew he was very good for the community in Indianapolis. And you know what? Everybody's been backing him up in the NFL community. And you know what that tells you? That tells you that the that football is a very physical sport. And if you want to retire, nobody's gonna call you a baby or a loser because you know what? He's given his heart and soul to football. And listen, I can't blame him. He doesn't want to do it anymore. I mean, would you want to be hurt all the time? It's just it's he's a he's a human being. He has a family to look forward to. And you know what? Yes, he's gotten a lot of money, but you know what? It's not like he got his money and ran. He left almost $60 million on the table so he can live a better life. Honestly, my hat is off to Andrew Luck. I'm very proud of him for being brave enough to make that decision. And that's what brings me to my attack mode right now because people are so quick to boo him and criticize him for you know leaving the game that he has a passion for. Something that he has a passion for, he up and leaves. He forfeits a lot of money in his contract for it, a but he does it money. for the greater good. And then, But people will ignore the fact that um, guys are holding out because they want to make more than the guy who got the previous record of a um, you know contract. Like all the guys want is money, and then this guy, there's this guy who just wants a better life, and people are quick to boo him, but not the Melvin Gordons of the world or the Zeke Elliotts of the world who've been in the league for no more than four years and already want to make you know the top dollar. They want to be the paid like they're the best. Well, they got to go out there and prove it. Well, the problem is that them they too. They haven't won anything. I understand the security thing, but I don't see how with the contracts that they have now, they can't live off that. Well, the problem is with them too is that they need to realize that there's a team that they need to build. The Chargers, as good as a football team they are, they're a little. They have problems. It's the NFL. Everybody has problems because if they sign Melvin Gordon to this, they also have to re-sign Keenan Allen. They also have to re-sign Williams. They also They're already need, looking to re-sign Philip Rivers for another extension. Exactly. They need they need money to be able to do these things. If they give Melvin Gordon the world, they're handcuffed. And then all of a sudden, you have a good running back. And then what happens next? Ezekiel Elliott with the same thing. He did, he turned down a thirty million dollar contract. I mean, I understand that these guys want to get paid just in case they get injured a bunch, like Andrew Luck did. But you know what? You need to realize that you have a team that you need to build around. I get if you have the opportunity to make money, then you go out there and try to make it. But the problem is, you're not the only person on that team that deserves the money. Like, the problem is, with the Cowboys, Ezekiel Elliott is asking for $35 million and Dak Prescott's asking for $40 million. That would be $75 million locked up between two different players. That's not right. good. That's one of the problems with the game is that I feel like that there's not enough love for the game, but they just want that security before they get injured. And I understand that that's a that's a very very big fear. I, I get that. I hate to say it, or I wish that there was more guys like Tom Brady who w- doesn't need to make a lot of money because he just wants to win. Well, that's there's two things part of that. One, he wants to win, and he understands that there's a cap space. And two, he is married to Giselle, I know, who makes I a know, lot more money than he does. I know. So <laughs> let's let's not be like, oh, he's taking a lot less money. And he's really, he could be better off. He's married to friggin' Giselle. I mean, they got money. But I understand the point. I make that point too. He makes one of the most team-friendly salaries in the NFL for a guy who's probably the greatest quarterback to ever live at this point. Exactly. And going back to Andrew Luck and the genuine guy he is and the intellectual guy he is, I was going to go to bed the other night and I stayed up to watch all 12 minutes of his press conference. And this man is articulate. And the fact that he acknowledges just about everyone he's ever met across football, acknowledge them in a preference conference to make sure that they got their sincere thanks 
for being a part of his journey really sticks out and proves to me that like just the guy he is and again he forfeited a lot of money to do this you know it's not like he wanted to up and leave football but he did it because you know what's going to happen when he tries to get back out there it's like David Wright David Wright didn't want to retire but he knew it was better for the team better for himself and better for his future and Andrew Luck's the same way and he knows I think that he put a little bit of confidence in Jacoby Brissett to you know take the helm and really take control of this team it's it's a good team that's built around Jacoby and I think that you know he can thrive he's not going to be Andrew Luck but he's going to win you games I think the Colts are still going to be a good team this year with all the guys that they have on the front line, their defense is great. Marlon Mack, all these guys are very good players. I want to build on two things you said. One, Marlon Mack was the most underrated player in the NFL last year. He was a Pro Bowl snub. He was an absolute animal last year. He was fantastic. And two, with Jacoby Brissett, I've heard a lot of Giant fans say, why don't we trade Eli Manning to the Colts? Well, here's my response to that. Why the hell would the Colts do that? I feel like that Eli Manning, two problems with that. One, Eli Manning doesn't want to leave the Giants. And two, what the heck do the Colts gain out of it? I think that the Colts are more inclined to see what the 27-year-old Jacoby Brissett can do than they would see what Eli Manning can do. Because honestly, Jacoby Brissett, he showed flashes of being a good NFL quarterback. And if you have the talented roster that the Colts do, maybe you don't need that fantastic of a quarterback. We've seen good quarterbacks win Super Bowls. It's not uncommon. It's been done before. And I think with that offensive line, that only enhances his opportunity to become a better quarterback. I mean, Andrew Luck, we've seen, has been talented with an awful offensive line. So, like, don't think that that offensive line was why Andrew Luck was good. But you saw how much better he got with a little bit of time. Jacoby Brissett, yes, he's no Andrew Luck. But maybe with a little bit of time and being protected, plus that run game is able to open up. And like you said, that defense, the Colts are not in an awful position. But I just want to put a put an end to the fact that they were going to trade for Eli Manning. If anybody's going to get traded to the Colts, I see it more likely being a guy like Ryan Tannehill or Teddy Bridgewater in, in New Orleans. I see it something more like that than anything else. I know Teddy Bridgewater is probably the heir apparent to Drew Brees. But, I mean, if you're offered a first-round pick for Teddy Bridgewater or a first-round pick for Ryan Tannehill, and don't think that that's crazy because the Vikings paid a first-round pick to get Sam Bradford, and we all know where Sam Bradford is now. You're right, and, I mean, I don't disagree with you, but don't be surprised if, you know, Eli Manning does go on the move because you don't know. Some Maybe one of these a day or two from now, um, Eli Manning could be pulled into the office and – Mara will be sitting there and be like, listen, look, we all know the situation that's going on in Indianapolis. How would you feel about, you know, moving on? You could get a couple years. You could get $10 more million contracts. See, I doubt I, that the Giants will do that just because they're trying to build Daniel Jones. And I feel like they want Eli Manning to be able to show Daniel Jones the ropes. I understand that. But I also believe that, you know, what the, what the Colts have now, there's enough talent there that even bringing in... Eli Manning could get you into the postseason and possibly a championship where Jacoby Brissett can still learn from a veteran quarterback. And also with the Giants, you know, you know you're not getting anywhere this season regardless. 
it it is going to take a toll on Daniel Jones. See, if I'm the Giants, there's no draft pick high enough that is worth my quarterback's future because you spent the number six overall pick on Daniel Jones. Right. You cannot, for me, you can't forfeit that. Even if the Colts were begging you for Eli Manning, I care much more about my franchise quarterback than I do a first-round pick that could possibly be a bust. I cannot let Daniel Jones be a bust. Because if Daniel Jones is a bust, then this whole gentleman Shermer regime is a complete failure. They're, I, fu- they're fired. If That's the one thing that I think is going to keep Eli here is because he's so, he's their security. Eli Manning has a bad season. It's nothing on Pat Shermer or Gettleman. I mean, they, they keep their jobs. It's just Eli Manning getting... It's all older. about Daniel Jones. Nobody cares about... If, if Eli Manning has a good season and the Giants are a good team... That's just an added bonus, but it's all about Daniel Jones. And from what you've seen in the preseason, I mean, yes, it's the preseason, but you got to like what you see. He's moving in the right direction. He can take this experience, see what he's doing wrong, see what he's doing right, let Eli Manning really show him the ropes, and maybe you let the kid play by week 14, 15 if the Giants are way out of it. I just think Eli Manning is way too important to the Giants to even consider trading him. Nothing is worth your franchise quarterback. Nothing. Trust me. Take it from the two Jet fans. Nothing is worth your franchise quarterback. From a team that's never had one since Joe Namath. Nothing is worth risking the development of Daniel Jones. Agreed. Especially with how high they drafted him. It's not like he's like a fourth-round flyer. No, he's your sixth-round pick. It's not. It's a sixth-overall pick. It's, it's, it's just... I mean, if you want, we've been talking a lot about Andrew Luck in this segment. If you want a guy like Andrew Luck, Andrew Luck obviously is was a complete talent from the get-go. He was amazing at Stanford. He was an all-pro. He was ready to go. But listen, if you want Daniel Jones to be like Andrew Luck, you need to take him through the steps. These quarterbacks, are, there's very few quarterbacks like Andrew Luck that could just step into it and be ready to go. The Redskins tried to do it with RG3. You saw what happened. The Jets tried to do it with Mark Sanchez. You saw what happened. The Jets yeah. were forced to do it with Geno Smith. You saw what happened. Remember, they were forced to do that. Riddle me this. Um, there's a theory going around that, you know, Andrew Luck, he's 29 years old. I could see him coming back. He's only, he's only, he's only had seven professional seasons. He's missed 56 games in his career. At 55 and 33. The chances of him coming back. There's a possibility there. I think the chances of him coming back in two years are very high. Like taking this season off and then coming back in 2020. I think that's very realistic. It's very realistic. With the life expectancy of a quarterback in the NFL in this day and age, uh, we've seen Eli Manning. We see Tom Brady still in this uh in the NFL. Phillip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, all those There's guys. There's guys that are in their 40s. Or chasing forty, and Andrew Luck is twenty nine years old. The chant. What if, if he were to ever come back? He he's not going to be an Indianapolis Colt. You don't think so? But there is a possibility that he can land elsewhere. You don't think that he'd be a Colt again? No, really. I don't. I don't think so. I think I see a, a team that is more thirsty for, you know, a quarterback that can lead the charge. You know, a team like maybe, I don't even know. Well, I mean, I mean, there's quite a few teams out there. Here's the thing. Is that I could see the 49ers if the Jimmy G 
Oh, the scenario just falls through. They are locked in, in heavily with money with Jimmy G. They fell in love with him after those six games. But listen, we are not even near an idea if Andrew Luck is coming back. And honestly, if he comes back, I hope he stays at the Colts. But listen, we're not there. But maybe he just thinks to himself, man, I love this game too much. I got to come back. But let the man do what he wants. He's a great man, very smart, very bright. I not, I wish nothing but the less, but the best to Andrew Luck. And listen, don't let the haters get you down, Andrew. You are a great quarterback, a great person. Just get healthy, stay healthy. Well, I hope he finds peace peace with his decision. Absolutely. I know, it, I know it's not an easy decision to give up something that you love and something you've worked your whole life for. I mean, people dream of being in the NFL, and he's had the opportunity of a lifetime to be there and do what he did. So... Yeah, I can see him coming back because he loves it so much, but I think his health is way more important. You're listening to 60 Minute Dash on All Noise Radio, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. When we come back, we're going to wrap up our show with the FedEx Cup and a little bit more. You're listening to Nick Hunter on the 60 Minute Dash. All Noise Radio. Powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. All Noise Radio is an internet radio station that's fully produced by graduates of the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. From modern rock to old school hip-hop, country to classical, news, talk, sports, and more. It's the noise you can't ignore. Log on to allnoiseradio.com. Fire up the station. Find out more about your favorite jocks. Get the latest CSB news and more. Plus, you can take All Noise Radio with you on the go for free. Just download the Live 365 app to your iPhone, iPod Touch, or BlackBerry and search All Noise Radio. Check out tomorrow's broadcasters today at allnoiseradio.com. Powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Ho, 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 ho! Santa Claus is here! Huddle up! It's the 60-Minute Dash with your host, Hunter Highwell and Nick Pellucci. The 60-Minute Dash on All Noise Radio, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Going once, going twice, sold! Nick Hunter and you. FedEx Cup this weekend is come and gone, and Rory McIlroy running his second in four years. Incredible. But who was to expect it after coming off that horrible performance at the Open, getting cut, and now climbing to the top? He is now the most former champion in any tournament for golf, and you know. Incredible weekend. So, Hunter, what what do you what are you, some of your takeaways on this? <laughs> I think Rory McIlroy is one lucky person because do you see that shot on the eighth hole? He puts his wedge shot over the green, and it, it was going into the water, and it hits a water pump, and it stays out of the water. I thought that that was obviously the key to him winning because if that goes in, he's at least looking at bogey, if not double bogey, which completely ta- which completely turns the tournament sideways and remember they had to finish their third round action before playing their first round because i mean their fourth round because of the lightning hazard on saturday when a couple fans were hit but listen rory mcelroy is a great individual he's a great golfer but one of the things one of my biggest takeaways is kepka as well as he played he really shot himself in the foot on saturday he bogeyed the first two holes on sunday he started at, I believe, minus 14. He got to minus 12 before getting it back to minus 15. As good as Brooks Kepka is, I don't know what's been going on with him lately, but his putting has just left him. He has not been a good putter since the Open. 
He struggled with his putting then. He's been struggling with his putting since then. And he was first going into last week. And then he ended up in this one second. And listen, he was trying to... Roy McIlroy was chasing him all weekend. Kepka took the lead on Saturday. And he just fell apart with his putting game. And Roy McIlroy was able to... Yes, his short game struggles. But you know, he's able to hit it so freaking far. He hit a three-wood 335 yards. Are you kidding me? That's that's ridiculous. He was just able to get onto the green and putt really well. And like I said, number eight hitting that water pump was the biggest part of the weekend. I agree. Uh, you know, something that you don't really see every day in golf especially. But, um, you know, it, you got to play it where it lies. Everything is in play. Um, that's what makes it a lot more interesting. But I still think that, you know, Brooks Kepka for – uh, less than stellar performance this weekend. Um, he's still the favorite to win player of the year. Um, he, there's so much good that he's done this entire PGA Tour that I don't think this defeat is enough to take him off that pedestal. I still think that he is probably one of the more favored and enamored golfers in the game today. Um you know, he's pretty much the next Tiger Woods. But, you know, McElroy, he proved to himself that he proved to everybody yet, uh, this past weekend that, you know, he's he's still one of the top golfers. We, we haven't really heard much of him this year. He's had a lot of struggles. And to come back and win this one, if there was a comeback player of the year, I would give it to him. Well, you know For, what? He did win the players. He won the RBC Canadian. But you know what? You're in the majors. In he the really majors, didn't. He, he really didn't show up. He was really a non-factor in, I really three out of the four majors. Actually, I don't even think he really was a factor in any of the majors. He wasn't near any of the top. The only time he was a factor was in the players. I mean, he won the Canadian, like I said. But you know, he did what he had to do, and he won the big one. He won the FedEx Cup. He's now a two-time FedEx Cup champion. He's been out of the winner's circle at the majors over the last three, four years. But, you know, he found himself in the in the playoffs. He put together a nice little run to win this. You're right. It's a nice little comeback story because I think that when we thought that he really had a chance was right when he won the Canadian Open because you saw that maybe he was putting it together. But then he got cut from the Open. And you're thinking, oh, great. It's, it's you know, one of these again. I don't think that he's going to be much. And then all of a sudden, Justin Thomas comes out of nowhere. He wins yeah. the BMW. And he's set all the way at the top to win the FedEx Cup, but Rory McIlroy just has a great weekend at East Lake, puts it all together, and he wins his second FedEx Cup. I mean, honestly, to me, I did not think Rory McIlroy was going to win the FedEx Cup. I thought it was probably I thought Percy was going to be Kepka because I thought that he was going to put together a great weekend and win. And then Z- Xander Shoffley put together a good weekend. He finishes at minus fourteen, but McIlroy was just great on the final Sunday. He ran away with it at minus 18. He put together a great weekend. I think what killed Kepta the most was the 12-13 and 13 where he had back-to-back bogeys of course. on putts that he should have made. That's what I'm saying. I think his putting has left him completely. That, He's even been vocal about it. He said before the I mean he said before the final round of the open he's striking it the best out of the group but he's putting the worst out of the group and that seems to be what it is. I mean He's been driving it and hitting it with his irons masterfully. But once he gets onto the green, he's just three-putting 
two putty. He's been parring and he's hitting bogeys. He's missing his birdie opportunities, and they're really killing him. On and on the final Sunday, he shot plus two. On the final Sunday, you cannot be shooting over par. You just can't. No. And you know he has that advantage where he can outdrive other golfers, and with ease. With ease, and you know his short game is, you know, above par. No pun intended. Like you said, once he gets to that green, it just collapses. He falls apart, and that's golf. You ha- you have to know that you have to pretty much master all three phases of the game. And if you can't finish it off, if you get to the green on a par four and two shots, you know you got to sink it. You got it. And to, to Abs- me, absolutely. The fact that, and know, that was it. That's what won him at Bethpage. Yeah, he struggled. On Sunday with his putting on the final round. But Thursday, Friday, Saturday, he was sinking those long, beautiful putts. He was really doing a good job. That's what won him that PGA Championship. Is that he had all three phases of his game working. It just it was incredible what he was able to do. And at the Open, he really played well. He should have won the Masters. But he put one ball into the water at the seventh hole. That really screwed him. Listen, overall, Kepka had a great, great golf season. He had a couple wins, uh, leading with the PGA Championship, but late in the late in the year, his putting just left him. And at in the end, McIlroy was able to sink those putts, and he wasn't. That's just what it comes down to. And listen, you and me know, as avid golfers, something always leaves you when you hit that golf course. Two for me, it's always two out of the three want to work, and then one just doesn't. And you got to be able to find that middle ground. But he was not able to find that. And Roy McIlroy walks away with the with the FedEx Cup. I'm gonna reverse that and say that I'm not an avid golfer, considering I go maybe maybe seven eight times a year. But uh, <laughs> I am know, at least. You know, you're right. You have to master all phases of the game, and every it's crazy because every single shot matters. You have one bad shot, and it could put you back. You know, five spots on the leaderboard. One bad shot. You know. You're not supposed to focus on what other people are doing, but when you're in a group with guys, you're watching uh, a nice shot, and you feel like you have to follow up or one-up that guy, it it makes a huge difference. When Kepka put it into the trees on number seven, you know, that's that's the kind of thing that will, you know, get in your head, and, you know, you have to – now you have to make a really, really, really good shot. Especially when you're chasing, shot. especially when you're chasing a guy, and I know some people say that they tune out the scoreboard and stuff. It's very hard because there's a scoreboard everywhere on the go- on the course. Every green you get to, you see leader. You'll see Roy McIlroy. He's leading, and then you're like, "Holy crap! I'm three shots behind, and I'm in the woods. I need to get out of this. I need to get on the green there." And instead of just trying to save par, you're trying to make a birdie out of something that's not there. I mean, that's just what happens. I mean, when you realize that you're down and almost out, you start to panic. And I'm not sure that Kepka really struggled from panicking because he really did play a good round. It's just he could not putt. And that's just what it came down to. McIlroy was able to sink his shots. And overall, I think it was a great PGA Tour season. I think it was a great season. I mean, let's, let's just run down what happened over the four majors. Tiger Woods. I mean, are you kidding me? He wins the Masters. He didn't really do much after that Masters win, but he won the Masters, which is the biggest individual golf tournament of the year. 
he wins that that's after in the fight for comeback player of the year although yeah. he's had a miserable season after that but pretty much i mean he got cut from he got cut from the uh he got cut from two uh two majors he got cut from the open and the and the pga championship he's one of the first golfers to do that but listen overall that was probably one of the better moments of the golf season you have kepka uh, going back-to-back with PGA Championships at Bethpage Black. You and me were there. Then you have Gary Woodland winning the U.S. Open. Somebody who we thought was not going to win the U.S. Open. He had Kepka breathing breathing down his neck, and he just stared him down. He made his shots. He made that beautiful shot at 17 where he just plopped the other side of the green. That was a beautiful shot. And then you had Shane Lowry, of all people, winning the Open. I mean, it was a great golf season. Nobody expected it coming. And then Rory McIlroy hits you with one more, winning the FedEx Cup out of nowhere. It was just a great golf season where we were just on edge the whole time. I mean, who expected Tiger? The only thing that really I thought was going to happen was Kepka winning the PGA Championship. I did not expect Tiger Woods to win another major. I did not. Hats off to him for doing it. And then you had Lowry and Woodland winning their majors. It's good to see different faces winning majors. I mean, I I had ex- expectations for Tiger to come back, you know. I guess he with a vengeance. To. I had a feeling that at some point he was going to make a masterful, uh, no pun intended, again, um, appearance and you know win a championship. And I don't, I didn't expect it to be the first one, but I also expected him to be like the one and done. I don't think that with the talent around the board, you know, the Tony Finau's. The Roy McElroys, Gary Woodlands, the Fleetwoods, all these guys. There's a lot of talent up and down this board. Oh yeah, and nowadays, a, and you know, and a guy I would look out for in the next season is Jordan Spieth. Well, that was going to lead me to my a next question for you: is what What are your ex- expectations for the 2020 season? My expectations for the 2020 season are expect Kepka to come back being angry that he let this FedEx Cup go. I think that he's going to go on a tear. I'm going to just predict him to win the Masters right now. I don't care. I'll just make that call right now. I think he's going to win the Masters. I think Ricky Fowler is going to get his first major victory. I believe that. Trust me, he'll get You're it done. Just a fan. No. You're just a fan. I know. Ricky I, Fowler at finishing it even. I think that Ricky Fowler is going to go on and he's going to win his first major. Trust me. I think it's going to happen. I think it's time. He's now reaching his 30s, and it usually takes a golfer into his 30s to really get that first major. I think that it's going to happen for him. I think Jordan Spieth is going to get a major this year. He'll be back in the winning in the winner's circle for the first time since 2016, I believe. He'll be back in there. I'm not sure what tournament either of these guys are going to win, but I just feel like that they're all going to get one. I think those are my big expectations, and I think that for Tiger Woods, I expect him to be in contention at majors, but I do not expect him to win majors. I just think that, I mean, he had an injury at the BMW. I just think that overall winning the Masters was his final hoorah. But you know what? He has made a living on proving people wrong. And if he proves me wrong, more power to him. I'm not rooting against the guy. I'm just saying he's made a career on proving people wrong. What amazed me this year was Brooks Kepka's consistency of being double digits under par excellence. almost every time. It was excellence. Um, but next year... I really see a lot of these guys getting better. Uh, Justin Rose is always a guy that you got to look out for. True. Um, Ricky Fowler, I guess, yeah, you, you, you can't sleep on him. Dusty John, Dustin Johnson, another one. 
He's the guy that did not have a good that did not get a good season. He has he all the time in the a world. Good season, but I believe that that what we saw this year is not who he's capable of being. There's definitely more in a guy like him, and he's going to be on top of the leaderboards next year. I believe that. Well, Nick, it's always a pleasure, man. Listen, I'll there's see you a, at the game tomorrow. Yeah, that you will. I mean, the Mets open up a big series against the Cubs. We look forward to that. The Yankees are in Seattle. Unfortunately, the PGA Tour season is over, but you know what? That With the PGA Tour season being over, that means the NFL preseason is almost over, and you know what? I've had enough of that. How many times can you watch it and be like, man, we're almost there? It's not it's, exciting anymore because, you know, all these guys are pulling their starters out. I don't want to watch backups. Well, I mean, it's only fun for the first quarter, but that's the great thing. That's the only good part about summer ending is that the NFL season is right around the corner and that also the PGA Tour season's over, which sucks, but... You've been listening to the 60 Minute Dash on All Noise Radio, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Follow the 60 Minute Dash on Twitter and on Instagram at the 60 Minute Dash. We thank all of you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.